0: Good morning. I like to think that I am independent. I can do things myself. I think this is because of the inner monologue that I've had running, that I've practiced for so long since I was a child, telling myself things like girls can do anything boys can do. And I need to and I can take care of myself. I don't need anyone, particularly a man. To provide for me or to help me. It's my own competence that will help me succeed. And also, my ideas are the best ideas. I was in grade 12 when I first learned a lesson about interdependence. I was the editor of my high school yearbook. I campaigned for the job because, for some reason, it was on the student council, so it was an elected position. I won the position. Uh, and I learned about layout and photography. This was in the days before digital, so everything was cut and paste and you had to like, put things on a blue grid. Dark rooms and all of that stuff. I even scored free um, monograms on all of the yearbooks for our school because I won a contest at a, work- like a yearbook workshop that I went to. And all of this just served to reinforce my idea that my ideas were the best and that I was the leader and that I was the most competent. And I had a small committee that I directed um, who were supposed to be the writers and photographers and designers for the yearbook. We were supposed to work together. Well, I learned a lot about the need to delegate, to work as a team, to trust others to do their jobs and to let go of my grip on what I thought was best so that we could be creative together. But I only learned that in retrospect. I did not learn it while I was doing the job. (laughs) I was so stressed out by the end of my senior year in high school about all the pressure I was putting on myself to meet deadlines, to do it all myself, to do it perfectly. And I was... And I am still, even now to this day, over 20 years later, working against that inner voice that tells me that probably other folks just aren't interested in doing whatever it is, or that I, I, could, I should just do it myself, or I can probably do it better anyway. It's easier if I do it myself. Well, I almost had, when I was a senior in high school, I didn't go on the senior field trip, ski trip to Montana because... I was so stressed out that I just needed to give myself a break and go home when all of this this is a boarding school, by the way. I needed to go home to my parents and let them take care of me because I just could not be around other students. And there was one day when my friend Camille came to me in the cafeteria and she just said some, I don't know, some dumb joke. And I don't even remember what it was, but I, whatever it was, I just like broke down like a sobbing puddle on the floor because of yearbook. It's just a yearbook. Well, this country, more than any, is built on this myth of independence. It's right there in the name of the national holiday, two days from now. Although Canada, who's just yesterday celebrated its 150th birthday, I learned through some of the social media feeds of my friends who are Canadian, this also has some of that uh, we-did-it-ourselves attitude, ignoring the 150,000 years Of the Aboriginal care for and inhabitation of the land on which Canada is built. But there is no such thing as a self made man or woman or nation. We are the products of our communities, we need our communities. Even the millionaire who built themselves up from seemingly nothing have workers, maybe immigrants, that they depend on for cheap labor, outsourced factories they depend on to manufacture the goods they've designed or commissioned, people to buy what they're selling, a supportive spouse or a paid nanny taking care of home and children. All of these and more make the self-made man and the lean-in woman the successes that they are. When my brother and I uh, would get into it about something when we were kids, my mom would often call us on it. Usually me, because I was the oldest. And I would say, of course, he started it. I think most of us have said that at some point or another if we have a sibling. But what my mom would say back to me or to us, takes two to tango. I thought for a long time like longer than I should have should have that she was saying it takes two to tangle <laughs> because that's what we were doing we're all tangled up in whatever yelling match that we were a part of each one trying to out yell or win against the other one and as I think about it now it's too bad that such a passionate and beautiful dance has been appropriated by such a phrase because you know it's a dance it's lovely but it's also true it does take two to tango and I don't actually know anything about the tango except maybe what I gleaned from Dancing with the Stars when I used to watch that but it is definitely a dance for two people and it's just one example of something that's beautiful and intimate that's created when two people are working together in harmony and the advice my mom should have given me when I was so stressed, trying to do everything myself, was that it takes two to tango. You can create something more beautiful when you are working together, when you give a little and let someone else lead. In our scriptures this morning, I think they might be the only two scriptures, only two stories in scripture that passed the Bechtel test. I don't know if you're familiar with this test that was, this terminology was coined by a, the cartoonist Alanis, Alison Bechtel uh, in a cartoon that, just a simple strip in, that has two women talking to each other and one woman s- talks about only watching movies that, in which there are two women, who ta- at least two women, who have a conversation with each other about something other than a man. There are not a lot of movies that pass this test. There are not a lot of stories in our scriptures that pass this test. And I think these are the two. I I looked it up one time. It is rare to have two women in scripture who are each other's community. And these women are, I mean, these are stories in which women lean on each other. Mary and Ruth, these young women, they know of their need. Mary knows, perhaps from a more culturally rooted place, that she is not independent. As soon as Mary makes up her mind to do as the angel has instructed her, she hightails it to the person that she knows can be community and mentor to her. Ruth's position is different, but she also knows who can be community to her. These women need each other. Mary also knows from her position as a young person, as a woman, as an occupied Jew. Ruth, too, is young. She's widowed. She's an outsider. They need community for support, for help, for advice, for sustenance. Unlike Mary, I am no longer young. I am a woman, but I am not oppressed. I have means. It's relatively easy for me to sell myself the myth of independence because of my position of privilege. Both in my personal goals and achievements, in my social realm, I can pretend to be independent. But Mary needed Elizabeth to help her know how to navigate the next steps about what she was about to face in pregnancy, in navigating the world as a woman in that situation. And she knew, too, she would need Joseph's help to bring an illegitimate child, essentially, into the world. And she leaned heavily on God who saw and lifted up the lowly ones such as herself. She sang it. She sang of her interdependence. She saw her place in the web, in the tangle Just as those immigrants who might clean the office or who are the intellectual labor, who are the low-wage earners doing piecework in the factory, or the nanny who's taking care of the kids, they feel their dependence on their work, on each other. And sometimes we who have privilege need a jolt, a reminder that forces us, and maybe none too gently, into realizing how interdependent we actually all are. Uh, maybe some of you are aware of the book, the children's book "Click Clack Moo." It's a it's a book that uh, is about cows and chickens, and it's about a farmer, Farmer Brown, who has a typewriter. Some of you kids might have that at your house. I do. So the cows and chickens find a typewriter, and they use this typewriter to communicate their displeasure to the Farmer Brown about their work environment. This is right up your alley, Nancy. Yeah. Yeah. They start working, click, clack, click, clack, clickety-clack, moo, to communicate with the farmer that they are displeased with their work situation, and they want to change. And they write, no milk, no eggs until we get electric blankets. Farmer Brown is outraged. He's the farmer, after all. You do what I say. But these are oppressed cows and chickens who are reminding the boss that he depends on them. Through their refusal to produce, they remind him they are interdependent. His livelihood is their labor, the work of their bodies. And yes, they depend on him to feed and care for him, for them. I also read... Martin Luther King's words from Birmingham County Jail this week. They're well-known, but I'm going to read some of them again. He says, I am cognizant of the interrelatedness of all communities and states. I cannot sit idly by by, uh, in Atlanta and not be concerned about what's happening in Birmingham. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. He was put in the very real position of having to wake up to jolt communities of privilege. In this case, when he is writing even sympathetic, liberal, white clergy To remind them that he and his community are not animals. But they are an interconnected and valuable part of the nation and of humanity. I feel like our community has had a bit of a jolt in these past weeks. Or maybe it's just me. In my privilege and naivety, I had begun to think that our denomination was moving, if slowly ahead. After all... Pink Meno has a space in our convention center next week. The Brethren Mennonite Committee for LGBTQ Concerns is leading workshops at convention. Uh, BMC has its own booth. But we all know by now, or most of us will know, that since Doug's appointment and suspension from the Leadership Discernment Committee of our Executive Board in the denomination... The tangle has been exposed. The privilege and complacency have been exposed, both by Doug himself and by those of you who advocate for him and for all the queer folk in our church, and thank you for your voices of compassion and outrage. I was especially disappointed by Glenn Guyton's response on the MCUSA blog this week. He was essentially asking Doug and us, the LGBTQ community and their allies, to wait. Wait and see what happens at the September Executive Board meeting. Maybe they'll vote Doug in. When he asks those of us who would like to wait, or those of us who would like to make noise, to agitate at convention and other spaces. It sounds a lot to me like the white clergy who are asking King to just wait, to let legislation change, to go easy on the strikes and the marches and the agitations that are causing so much tension in communities. Wait and work through legislation. Wait till the right time. And King answers, we have not made a single gain in civil rights without determined legal and nonviolent pressure. History is the long and tragic story of the fact that privileged groups seldom give up their privileges voluntarily. Groups are more immoral than individuals. Freedom is never voluntarily given up by the oppressor. It must be demanded from the oppressed. And yet, King is also the one who said that though the arc of history is long, it bends toward justice. When I put those two things together, it seems to me that the arc is bent by those who are constantly reminding the world about how interconnected and interdependent we all are on each other. At the end of the Pride Parade last Sunday, we literally were offering the cup of cold water to marchers. By the end of the by the end of the The paraders, uh, Megan told me, I had already left because it was very hot. Our folks had just become the water brigade, just like cup after cup after cup of ice water. Like By the time the cookies were all gone and the slushies, it was just like water and water and water poured out. I pray that these actions of throwing ourselves into community, of connecting to those who need connection, of love and justice, I pray that these are bending the arc ever further. May we, in our actions and in our words, expose the tangled messes of division and brokenness so that we can move further toward the beautiful dance of interdependence. Amen. Amen.